0: welcome back to the major journey podcast this week's special guest moved halfway across the world i'm gonna say country halfway across the world from ireland to join the canadian cannabis industry in 2017 he started out as a bud tender and since then has managed multiple cannabis retail stores a cannabis processing facility and served as head of inventory for a large retail chain on vancouver island His North Star for his latest endeavor, 4 p.m., is to provide readers with valuable industry insights so they can stay up to date on the complex and rapidly changing modern cannabis industry. Without further ado, Matthew O'Brien, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's kind of hard to follow up such a a great endorsement there, but uh, I'll do my best. Hey, man, thank you for being here and thank you for everything that you do for the entire cannabis community, you and I uh, originally connected on LinkedIn. And I think it was actually um, Louis Massensi from Tucana who originally connected us or just told me, Hey, you got to check out what, what Matthew O'Brien's doing. And so I did, and I'm super, I'm super impressed with what you and, and the whole team at 4 PM are doing. So kudos to you guys for just putting out really quality content and staying objective and really sticking to your North star when you know, I'm sure there have been times where you kind of felt like, man, this is getting tough. This is getting tough. I don't know if, if we're gonna keep doing this, but hats off to you for everything you've been able to accomplish thus far.
1: No, I appreciate that. Like the, the way I often explain 4DM people or 4 DM to people is that like it is the most selfish, selfless thing I do on a daily basis, in the sense that selfishly I want to understand everything that's happening in the industry. And the way by which I go about accomplishing that is just to read any normal articles. However, I often felt as a cannabis professional and someone who was pretty sort of motivated to climb the ranks, there was never any good resource available for industry professionals. Like there's a lot of good publications out there, MJPS that are very sort of like fact fact oriented. You have publications like Leafly, which are very consumer centric. But for me, like the real opportunity is that middle ground. Like the reality is there's a, a huge miseducation problem within the cannabis industry. And, you know, nobody else seemed intent to fill that void. So we stepped up.
0: Incredible, and so to elaborate a little bit more on 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 you and your work, and kind of what led you to cannabis and the inspiration behind Four PM. Could you just share us share with us that journey behind it? Because I think that that little appetizer, that little taste of what Four PM does, what you just described was great. But if you could just uh, let us in on on the journey of what led you to Canada and what made you want to move halfway across the world, I think that'd be super interesting. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So for me. It started when I read a book called Narconomics um, at the time I was still in high school in Ireland and the only subject in school which I actually had sort of any sort of interest in was economics just because it seemed like it actually had some sort of relevancy to the real world as opposed to learning mathematical equations which you would never use in in any sort of context in your day-to-day <laughs> life whereas for me economics was really interesting because it was really the study of people now obviously there's there's micro and there's macro However, as someone who's just fascinated by people, economics just seemed like a really good subject to to dive into. And I came across this book. And basically within that, I found what is the most convincing argument as to why we as a society need to completely rethink how we actually currently legislate uh, substances. And Ireland... And in particular, Donegal, which is the, the part of Ireland that I was living in at the time, is extremely dogmatic in its viewpoints. Like religious viewpoints are, are very prominent. Like I'd say less than 40 years ago, if you weren't attending church on a regular basis, you'd have the priest come and knocking at your door, make an increase. So for me to read a book wow. like and, a, and an argument solely from an economic standpoint, sort of leaving reality at the, at the door and an argument which I couldn't actually poke any holes as to why we need to effectively legalize all drugs solely from an economic standpoint. I just couldn't help but think that this is going to happen at some point in time. And if this is the world we're going to live in, well, I sure as hell want to understand what that world's going to look like. So about six months prior to myself finishing high school, my brother Sam had actually left to go to Canada. And um, he was an individual who was using cannabis for medicinal purposes in Ireland. And he left to get involved in the industry because unfortunately cannabis is and remains legal in Ireland. And if you're intent on cultivating cannabis in Ireland, like sooner rather than later you're you're gonna find yourself in a in a spot of bother with the uh with the police over here. So he packed up his things and, mm-hmm. and moved to Vancouver to get involved in the industry. And with that, it kind of gave me like a nice entrance point in the industry. He was managing a store at the time. I had a a strong curiosity to to satisfy us, to, you know, learn more about the war on drugs, you know, what potentially What potential sort of infrastructure needs to be put in place if any sort of nation does decide to pursue this path of of legislation, and and with that I started as a bartender. And at the time, I literally knew like nothing about cannabis. And like, when I say nothing, I mean I had I didn't even know there was a distinction to be made between indica sativa hybrids, which I guess is another conversation in and of itself. But like, just to kind of emphasize how little I knew about cannabis, the first day I went in there, like everything was new to me, and I'd say within about 48 hours, you know, or 48 hours, two two days working in the store, I just knew straight away that this was an industry I wanted to be part of for the rest of my life. And the way people describe their usage of why they chose to use cannabis as opposed to other substances like alcohol just really sort of resonated with me because the part of Ireland I come from is is quite prone to alcoholism and, and many other sort of substance abuse issues. So interacting with people who, were using a substance which I was, you know, quote unquote, educated was, was extremely harmful. And they were using it in such meaningful ways to enhance their lives. To me, it just offered a completely different perspective on what cannabis is. And from there, just leveraged that, that passion to, to motivate myself to move up the ranks in the industry. I started um, as an assistant manager of a different chain. I think within about two months, I was managing uh, that store. And then just shortly after that, I was managing the entire retail chain. From there, I started managing a processing facility in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is sort of at the heart of the opioid crisis in Canada. And what was really interesting about that store in particular was the fact that they were subsidizing cannabis to allow individuals who were addicted to opioids uh, an alternative. And then that company got acquired at the end of 2019. And with that, I was asked to move to Vancouver Island to, to join Trees Island Grown, who we're at the time the, the largest retail chain in Western Canada, and um, their supply chain was right. But issues as a as a problem solver and someone who, you know, can't have enough problems to solve. And um, it was a fantastic experience, just you know, getting to oversee the entire supply chain from the point which uh, a product was was first introduced to our buyers to the point which uh, a butt tender in store actually sold that product. So I spent a few months with them and eventually decided that I had gained enough experience to to start my own endeavor. And then with that, I decided to to start 4pm. For me, it was always a case of I, as an industry professional, just never felt that there was a good sort of central source of truth for individuals who were interested in learning about all the complexity that is cannabis. And with that, I decided, you know, if anyone's going to solve this problem, given the experiences I've had in the industry, I kind of seem uniquely positioned to go out and give that an attempt.
0: That's incredible, and it seems to me like you saw, you know, a problem that you were experiencing, which was a lack of of knowledge or understanding about exactly what was happening um, in this space, uh, especially kind of how you how you allude to it as far as like the economics behind uh, legalizing or or keeping drugs illegal for for uh, for so many different reasons. Um, so it almost seems like you took a problem that you experienced and you wanted to make sure that not only did you understand it, but everybody who was able to come in contact with you could gain clarity. And that's kind of how that almost seems like the seed behind 4 PM and how all of this blossomed into what it is today.
1: Yeah, honestly, it's the best advice I could give to any entrepreneur is if you want to solve a problem, ideally it's a problem you have yourself, you know, it's very easy to sit in your room and sort of, ideate what the potential customer of the solution you're creating looks like but if you yourself fit that profile it's very easy to I wouldn't say sorry it's easy but you know you've a very clear path forward as to how you solve that problem because if you solve that problem for yourself and there are other individuals out there who have that same problem at that point in time it's just a matter of scaling it and you know growing awareness for what you've built.
0: Totally so With that said how did how did you actually start 4pm and i guess with that question what i what i really mean is you know what did you do to grow your reader base and your community and this is something that a lot of people think kind of just miraculously happens overnight uh right like so could you share some things that maybe you did along the way to create content that that you knew would resonate with people so much that you kind of indirectly almost ended up building a community around it. And now it's turned into, you know, and into what it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I say about nine months ago, I started creating content on LinkedIn. And um, just by virtue of having been so inspired by individuals like Max Simon, who was uh, willingly sharing his perspective on the platform. And for me, I always felt very unique in the sense that. I've met a lot of people in the industry. However, I've never met anyone who's had sort of the same experiences which I had. And, and that's not to put myself on a pedestal. It's just to say that I was fortunate to, to have had uh, the opportunity to work in those, those occupations. And with that, I felt like I had a unique perspective to, to bring to the table, like one which started as a bob tender, eventually found myself sitting in, in you know boardrooms with C-level executives. And, and with that, I just started sharing my, my perspective. And to be honest, it was a really slow start. I think about the first Probably about the first twenty posts I shared on LinkedIn probably got about forty engagements, so like likes and comments. And I'd say half that was probably myself or or someone back home in Ireland. So it, it started really small, and like I, I think the idea of like a ten-year overnight success kind of rings so true in this situation because for me it was a really slow build-up. And um, fortunately, LinkedIn eventually did take off when I just started listening to what people, you know, were sort of resonating with with the content. Reading all the comments, just talking to everyone. Like, if someone left a com, if someone left a comment on the content, I would take the time to have a conversation with them just to understand their perspective. And then, with all that context, I just felt like I had a really good pulse on what the industry was sort of interested in learning about. And then, to me, it just mm-hmm. made sense to, to fill that void because, as much as there are a lot of really, really smart people in the industry who are, you know, graciously sharing their perspective on the industry, I often felt that, you know, there was sort of the need for someone to play devil's advocate on certain sort of um, items we take for granted, whether that's the current presentation of products to consumers, whether that's how branding is currently in the industry. For me, we just need someone who's willing to you know, play devil's advocate, celebrate the success, but at the same time, don't be afraid to point out the failures, because at the end of the day, failure is merely a prerequisite towards success. And if you're not learning from failures, then, then why bother in the first place?
0: Yeah, man, you, you nailed it right on the head. And one of the things I really appreciate about your content on LinkedIn is you're not afraid to, to voice your opinion or to, to have a conversation and kind of, and like you said, play devil's advocate. One thing that, you, that really struck me is what you said was you don't necessarily just comment to comment. What you do is you have meaningful conversations. And so you'll see somebody who leaves a comment and you'll just start up a conversation with them. And a conversation is, is two-way right? It's kind of like what you and I are doing right now. It's not just this is how it's got to be done. This is it. This is true. This is it. Um, and so I think I think that's definitely one of the the secret, you know, elements of your recipe for success is that you have conversations and you're not scared to play devil's advocate. But the conversation part, I think, is is huge. And I see it. Right, I see it on LinkedIn all the time. And um, I see the traction that you get from it. And you know, kudos to you for, for being so open and so willing to kind of put yourself out there and have those conversations and challenge, you know, some of the, some of the common ideas that a lot of people just kind of nod their head yes to, and to, to voice what you think. And based on what you've seen, what you've experienced, what you've researched, um, you know, this may not be the, the end all be all, and here's why. So um, I I definitely think there's a lot of of magic that happens in, in the form of conversation.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, the reality is, I'm probably more wrong than I am right. And I'll be the first person to hold my hand up to say that. But at the end of the day, if we're not open to having dialogue, then how are we ever going to actually sort of arrive at what is right? And I'm not that, that that's not even to suggest that there is sort of any absolute right or wrongs in the cannabis industry. I'm sure what's right for someone is, is wrong for someone else. However, for me, like my journey into cannabis started off with just a curiosity of wanting to know more about people. like going back to the sort of initial point as regards like this started with me just wanting to understand economics. And that led to me wanting to understand economics from the standpoint of, you know, the legislation of substances. So for me to have conversations with people on LinkedIn is something I would do, like regardless of any traction I receive or, you know, the advantages of how the algorithm favors engagement for me, like <laughs> leave all that at the se- leave all that at the table because if you're not approaching it with good intent, eventually you're just going to burn yourself out. So for me, like regardless of if, you know, a hundred thousand people review my content or or a thousand people, I'd be doing that anyways, because I just want to learn about people. I want to understand their perspectives such that when I have conversations, I'm not just putting myself in an echo chamber of what I think, but my perspective is formed by having conversations with dozens of people such that I can understand, you know, the common threads and then arrive at what I think. But my perspective is informed by many other individuals' perspectives and to me, that seems like a recipe for success. I'm sure for other individuals, they're they're quite content, you know, just convincing themselves that they're right, you know, nine times out of 10. For me, I'm happy to be wrong because truthfully, I don't really care who's right or wrong as much as what's right or wrong.
0: Yep. I mean, that's that's about as spot on as it gets. And so as someone who's spent years in different parts of the world, based on your experiences and things that you've kind of seen happen all over, how do you see the normalization of cannabis taking place and unfolding in the, I was gonna say in the near future or you know, how, how, whenever it does happen, but how do you kind of see that unfolding? Yeah, I mean, um, great question by the way.
1: So I actually shared a post on LinkedIn today. Um, it was like 5 a.m. last night and I just had a thought in my head and it kind of made me laugh and I was like, okay, I should probably share that point with the, the community on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, but in essence, the, the first day when I worked as a bud tender, the very first thing I checked was whether there was a back door because I convinced myself that the likelihood of us getting raided was you know sufficiently high that I should be concerned that you know the police are going to kick the front door in and then at that point in time I better be you know racing out the back as, as fast as possible you know when I first moved to Vancouver I, I was genuinely afraid to talk about cannabis in public that that to me is is hilarious in mm-hmm. retrospect but that, that just is the reality of um, the experiences I had. And even beyond that, like it took me 11 months to inform my parents back home that I was even working in cannabis. So for me, when I think about the current sort of stigma that exists around cannabis, I think it's more important to look at my perspective three years ago, as opposed to, you know, solely being biased my, by my perspective today, because the way I've sort of built my network is such that, like the far majority of people within it work within the industry. And that perspective isn't necessarily representative of the entire perspective of the general populace. So from my standpoint, I try and just engage with as many people as possible outside the industry, as well as people within the industry, just to kind of uh, find the or sort of bridge those two worlds. But I think the big stigmatization of cannabis is going to be like a many sort of layered approach, kind of like an onion, like we peel off one layer and then there's a the new layer after that and the layer after that. Like as an example, the the UFC announcing that they're no longer testing their athletes for for THC or rather they are no longer punishing their athletes for for consuming THC. Like that's huge, that's absolutely enormous because like what what that's going to pave the way for is, you know, world superstar athletes like Conor McGregor, you know, starting a cannabis business. And you may have your own viewpoint as to whether or not you think Conor McGregor is a good individual from a, a moral standpoint. And I have my own perspective on that, and I'm happy to share it with just about anyone else. But the reality is, like, when you have someone like Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz coming into the space or Amanda Nunes, and they're willing to endorse cannabis, like, it's very hard for individuals to sort of support this narrative of, you know, you consume cannabis and then you become lazy. Like, that argument just doesn't stand in the face when you have some of the most successful athletes in the world who are saying that they willingly consume cannabis, you know, on somewhat a daily basis. And me that really is how this is going to happen it's not going to happen overnight it's going to take many many years but i do think we're sort of we are fast approaching the floodgates opening and i think once the floodgates do open it's just going to be it's going to be such a better world and i I know that sounds so cliche but the reality is like we should have never had legislation in the first place that prohibited people's access to cannabis and if it takes a decade to undo that then so be it That's the world I want to live in. I want to live in a world whereby I can travel to any country on earth and you can talk to people about cannabis, you know, in in the same, if not better context as to how alcohol is currently treated today.
0: Yeah. And the way you alluded to, um, to the UFC and you know, what it would be like if Conor McGregor had his own brand and he was endorsing cannabis or hemp or, you know, any aspect of the plant. It's interesting because, you know, we have, I would say over the last couple of years, here in the States, there's a whole big controversy over cereal, right? Like cereal that kids eat in the morning before they go to school. And it's filled with so much sugar and all these, you know, terrible ingredients that cause potentially ADHD and diabetes and all this other stuff. Right. But what's so funny is that for years, I mean, we've had childhood heroes. We've had Shaquille O'Neal, right? Like, like Tiger Woods, all these sports figures that, that kids look up to. And so it's normal. Right, Like cereal's a normal thing. And I know this may be a silly analogy, but if we just take a look at that, it's almost like putting a superstar on, on the packaging of a cannabis product or a cannabis brand. Now, all of a sudden, if you've got somebody like Conor McGregor endorsing it, whether you're a fan of him or not, I mean, hey, that, that completely shifts the paradigm of how we as, as a society and as a world and as a population look at cannabis and and view it and are willing to have an open conversation about it, like you said, and there may be disagreements, great, but hey, at least that conversation is taking place.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Like The, the one point I would emphasize is that money buys influence and for better mm-hmm. or for worse, there is money to be made in cannabis. Like the reality is like there is so many individuals out there who gain so much value from, from consuming cannabis that of course there's gonna be successful businesses built on the back end of that. Now, the question which I would sort of pose, and it's a question we probably should give consideration to, but like without being too idealistic, like what is the cannabis industry that we wanna build? Because the reality is like this industry is gonna be around for, for decades, if not centuries, you know, well beyond any of our lifetime. And the foundation we lay is likely gonna determine much of what follows. So for me, when I talk to people, it's like, yeah, sure. Like, I understand you have to, you have to please your investors. Oh, I think I lost you for a
0: second.
1: Do we simply allow the people from Wall Street to come in and take all the profit?
0: Oh, I'm st- I'm sorry, Matt. I lost you. Uh, I lost you on the internet connection right after you said, um, "When it depends on how we we lay the foundation." Yeah, yeah, not, not a problem. Um, if, if you if you could just start off with that, that'd nope, be awesome. Thank you for that. So,
1: as we're saying, like we we do have to think ahead as to what industry and what type of industry we want to build. So, do we want to create an equitable industry whereby? We do give individuals from minority communities the opportunity to participate in the upside of cannabis, or do we simply pave the path forward whereby you know all the people from Wall Street get to capture all the profits? To me, it's it's an right. easy answer. Like it has to be an equitable industry. It has to be an industry whereby there's opportunity for all. And you know, if anything, let's use this as an opportunity to rectify the wrongs of the past, whereby the individuals from minority communities who have been pretty disproportionately targeted, you know, from the war on drugs. They are given, you know, probably like a disproportionate opportunity to, particip- to participate in the industry, and I know that's a it's a hot topic, and it's it's a topic which not a lot of people agree with. But from my standpoint, like the foundation we lay is going to determine the future of our industry, and if we're not having these conversations right now, these conversations are just never going to occur.
0: Totally, yeah. And so like one of the conversations that, that I've been having with a lot of folks lately, especially in the medical cannabis community, um, it surrounds educating patients and giving them resources and giving them access to folks who have, um, who have healthcare experience and maybe they're pharmacists, maybe they're doctors. Um, but people who truly understand the physio- physiological effects that cannabis has on a body. when somebody may or may not be taking prescription medication maybe whether they are trying to wean themselves off of a um a big a product of big pharma or maybe they're just trying to complement or supplement it with with another product like that but with that said one of the conversations i've been having is you mentioned that you were a bud tender um and so i'd be curious to get your perspective on whether or not you think dispensaries need to do a better job of when it comes to educating their bud tenders and their staff to better educate their patients. Um, and I think this conversation is twofold. It could, you know, one could argue yes or no, depending whether it's an adult use or recreational dispensary, but specifically for the medical side of things. Um, what was your perspective on that as someone who was a bud tender for for quite some time?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm
0: I'm going to try and be careful not to overgeneralize
1: here because like there are retail stores, which I'm aware of, which do a phenomenal job at educating their staff and like cairo mm. um I'm trying to think of other other names of of stores that you know uh the village in in vancouver like there's a lot of stores that really go out of their way to educate their staff so as i said i, I don't I don't need to generalize here, but like if I was to be asked you know overall are retail stores doing enough to educate their staffs absolutely not, like as an example, the first day um when I worked in the store in Vancouver for MMJ Canada, like the first question I was asked is, do you know how to operate a point of sale platform? I informed them I did because I had previously spent some time working in a grocery store back in Ireland. And the response to that was, okay, well, you know, get started. And at that point in time, the, the framework that was in place in Vancouver was such that there was sort of no distinction being made between medical cannabis or adult use cannabis. It was kind of just two of the same. It was like, well, you know, if, if you're a medical patient, you go to the store and you'll buy your product. And if you're someone who's using cannabis for recreational purposes or wellness purposes, you purchase from the same person at the same store. And for me, as someone who literally knew nothing about cannabis to be asked to be put in a position to quote unquote, educate customers as to what products mm-hmm. to purchase. Like I, I was in no way set up for success. And I've spoken to a lot of other build tenders because it's a specific group of people whom I personally feel hold a ridiculous amount of influence within an industry, in the sense that like the collective actions that group of individual takes in terms of whether that's educating consumers as to, you know, terms like Indica of a hybrid do actually correlate to the effects products produce, which I would strongly argue they do not versus you know them deciding, okay, well, we're going to make a big effort to educate consumers on turkey profiles. To me, if we're going to be realistic about what that conversation is actually going to look like in practice, as a prerequisite to that, we've got to ask ourselves, you know what type of resources are we actually willing to make available to these people? And sort of secondary to that, who's going to pick up the tab? Is it the producers? Is it the retailers? Is it the provincial governments who are generating taxation revenue of which they then you know allocate right. 20% of that revenue to ensure that the individuals who are purchasing cannabis know how to consume cannabis safely as a result of being provided with accurate information. And it just blows my mind that even in Canada, we are two years into legalization. And in spite of that, we're still waiting for any sort of provincial governments or or federal governments to really step up the game and and address the issue of who's actually responsible for educating the individuals in store. And until such point as we're actually willing to talk about how this is going to happen from a business standpoint. I just don't think there's any point in sort of idolizing what the models could like, because the reality is unless we make resources available, nothing is going to change.
0: Right. I, yeah, I to <clears throat> I totally agree with that. And so I think one of the, one of the great resources of this industry, you know, not, not specifically for, for bud tenders per se, but, um, but 4pm, I think is an unbelievable resource. And so for those who are listening, and they want to check out 4pm and everything that it has to offer, can you just give a quick rundown on um, where they can go to check it out to subscribe to your content and what they can expect, especially as we kind of kick off 2021?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um
0: so the website is just
1: 4pm.co. That's F-O-U-R-P-M.co. And in terms of the content we put out, It's the content which we feel is most relevant to cannabis industry professionals, like the information which I would have liked to have had access to when I was a butt tender, when I was managing a store. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, like, sure, you can go to platforms like MJBiz and you can get all the latest sort of reports and quarterly earnings reports from large cannabis producers. But I don't think that very many of these individuals actually understand what the day to day looks like within a cannabis retail store the reality is that you don't have that much time nor do you have that much energy to actually allocate towards you know, continuous development to understand all that's happening in the industry. So the way we like to think about it is, it's cannabis content for cannabis professionals from cannabis professionals. So it's ensuring that there isn't that type of disconnect as to what these individuals actually want. So when we decide to write an article, the question we always ask ourselves is, you know, would this have actually provided value to us when we were in that occupation? How long does this content need to be such that, you know, we're not asking too much of our readers. Usually it takes about four minutes to read the content. We publish it at 4 p.m. Irish time, which is 12 uh, or sorry, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And we send it out in the form of a daily email newsletter. Thankfully, we get you know pretty high open rates um, as compared to, to most. And we're just going to continue to do it. At the moment, we don't actually monetize the content in any shape or form we are going to be bringing on some advertisement partners in the uh, the next few weeks, just so that we can, you know, make this a little bit more sustainable. However, our goal is just to, you know, make a small contribution to educate an industry which currently has a, a pretty large internal education problem.
0: I think you guys are doing a great job of that. And I think this is something that the industry and the, the folks in it for sure need and are going to be looking forward to. So Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today, for sharing your story, for letting us in on your perspective and letting us in on your vantage point as to what the industry is, you know, kind of heading towards and and your your thoughts and predictions on what 2021 holds for us. So thank you for being here.
1: My pleasure. And um, once again, greatly appreciate the opportunity. And um, always a pleasure to interact on LinkedIn and looking forward to listening to any and all other
0: podcast episodes. Awesome. I appreciate that, Matt. We'll keep an eye out for more 4 p.m. content. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there. My name is Leah
1: Babruti, and I'm the founder and host of Cannot Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.